Good evening, everyone. Tonight, the Lord bless you. Welcome to church. I bring you greetings in the name of the Lord as we begin to settle in for the next one hour um, as we study the Bible and learn and gain from the Word of God. It's always an honor and a privilege to come for the word of the Lord every other day as the Lord has been helping us. Um, tonight, we will go in to the word and um, glean from the word of the Lord to enhance our faith and strengthen our resolve in God. We have been looking and studying the book of Romans and we're in chapter 8 and tonight we will continue very closely and keenly um, to behold God's word and learn of the Father. Before we start in tonight, I want us to pray. Father, we thank you. Our God, we come. I may open your word to us. I may learn of your ways as you want us to learn. That you might strengthen us by your spirit in our inner man. I pray tonight that Christ will burn our hearts by faith and we all will be rooted and grounded in the word. Rooted and grounded in love. Thank you, God, tonight. For we love and praise your name forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah tonight. Um, I want to welcome you all as we start this evening. Um, the book of Romans is a very important doctrinal book. Mr. Mbaname, God bless you, Ma. You're welcome. And everyone who is connected via Mixler and is not even identifying, the Lord bless you. The Lord knows you are there. Um, as a Christian, we are supposed to understand some basics. Um, first, let me build from here because we, we, we stopped in verse 2 in our last class. And I believe that someone at least understood something from the last class. Um, the book of Romans... It's a, it's, a, it's a major um, book of the New Testament. When I, when I mean major, I mean major because of its doctrinal content. I read the word doctrinal. Um, by doctrinal, I mean what makes us Christians. 
what are the foundations and the and the and the and the teachings of the church. Um, so the teachings of the church are called doctrines. Um, and by doctrine, we understand the beliefs um, of the church. You see, the church is not founded on on something ephemeral. The church is founded on truth. Please don't me say truth. And that's important because Paul was writing in First Timothy three to the apostle and to the to 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 Timothy, and in verse fifteen, First Timothy three fifteen. If if you can show me that scripture on the group, I will so appreciate it. But I can quote it offhand. It says, "For if I tarry long, that thou mayest know." How you ought to behave. Now, Timothy was the bishop or the pastor of the entire church in the region of Ephesus. So he was telling the pastor, it's just like, like someone in charge, in charge of the church in Lagos. That's what it was. So, so he, he, he superintends their elders and presbyters and deacons overseeing other churches but there's one general superintendent in that sense who is Timothy and Paul was writing to him in verse 15 of first Timothy 3 and he says but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God which is the ground and the pillar of what? Truth. To now my time to say truth with me. Truth. Now, the question is, what is truth? Um, Jesus clarified and told us what truth means. And I don't want to go into too much depth into that tonight, but John 17, 17, the Bible says, sanctify them by Thine truth, thy word is what? Truth. So the pillar of the church is the word. Because it's from the word of God that we, we get the doctrine of the church. So one of the assignments of the pastor is to bring us to a point where we understand the belief system. And so if Paul says, don't you know that we are different from the world? 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Paul comparing the church and the world, he says the church is righteousness, the world is what? Unrighteousness. The church is light, the world is what? Darkness. The church is of Christ, the world is of, is of Belial, which is Satan. The church is a believing church. The, un the unbelieving world, they are unbelievers. The church is called the temple of God. The unbelievers is called the temple of what? Idols. So there's a difference between the church and the world. 
and their fundamental teachings that establishes the strength of the church. And uh, the Apostle Peter was, was writing in 1 Peter 3, and he was writing to the church generally, and in verse 15 um, of 1 Peter 3, 15, it says, sanctify the Lord. So we have an obligation to separate ourselves to the Lord and be ready to give an answer to everyone that asketh you for the belief you have in Christ. So it's, it's, it's imperative and important for us to understand the basic belief of the Christian church. You know, we must stop saying, ah, the service was powerful. Ah, there's power in, in power in the blood. There's the Jesus power, super power, Jesus power, super power, Obanje power, powerless. No, no, we must go beyond that. What makes the power super? What makes it, we must know beyond the rhetoric, beyond the, the, the song, beyond the, 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 you know, the traditional beliefs. We must come to scripture to know that. And this is very key because of the book of Romans. So the book of Romans is one of the books that the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, wrote to clarify and teach doctrine. Um, Romans chapter 1 to verse to chapter 11 is doctrinal. It means it's teaching. It establishes the beliefs of the church. Chapters 12 to 15 are, are practicals. Haven't taught the doctrine. We are now going um, 12 to 15 will not tell us what to now do with the teaching. So it means you cannot apply the teaching without knowing it. So, so, so what Paul does in scripture is to, is to lay the foundation of the principle and then, and then, and then, and then, and then show us how to apply it in our daily works. So from verse 12 is the application of the doctrine taught from chapters 1 through 11. And remember, from the earliest time, there's no, there's no chapter or verse. Same thing you're going to find in Galatians, in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Philippians. You find the, the, the teaching of the doctrine, of the beliefs that we must learn, and then how to apply those truths to our lives. And when we come to Romans chapter 8, there's, there's a whole lot um, packed in that chapter. And I want us to carefully unravel them and learn them. And let me say to us that in the last 2,000 years, many believers throughout the centuries 
have put thoughts, have studied the book of Romans, and have come up with postulations and teachings about the book of Romans. And today in our world, it has, between the Christian dom, it has caused certain arguments and dichotomy. But tonight, I want us to read that, read the scripture and believe the scripture. It's okay? We're not taking sides, anything. We're just taking sides with the Bible, just like I would do tonight. Um, but before I go into that this evening, I want to start because this is important again as, as we go deeper um, in the scripture. Is that the configuration of the church is important for us to know to interpret scriptures rightly now by the word configuration what do i mean um le let me say we must understand the composition of the church and remember that paul was writing to to the believers in rome without having been there so he cannot actually say their state, if they are all believers or not. But is writing to a group of people that are professing to be Christians. Because he hasn't been there. But he has heard of their faith. In fact, verse 1, I mean chapter 1, um, verse 8. Say, haven't heard of your word, of your faith. Your faith is spreading. So it's writing to the entire church. And in this writing, certain assumptions has to be made. And he has to write to cover every person in the church, both the Gentile believers and the, and the, and the, and the Jewish believers and the Jewish non-believers and the, and the Gentile non-believers packed together in the church. Now, please follow me carefully. I read the word. It was writing to a group of people that comprises Jewish believers and Jewish non-believers, because there's always that 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 presence. It was writing to Gentile believers and Gentile non-believers who make up the population of what? The congregation. Please follow me clearly tonight so we can understand some things. Because in my studying of these scriptures, as I'm reading today, you know, praying and reading and studying myself, I, I, I just got to ask a lot of questions and, and I began to explain some things to me. Because we are going to start again and go through because Romans is very critical to our Christian foundation. And understanding this will set the pace for understanding the doctrine we're going to find in Romans. Now, let me say this to us. That the church in the wilderness or the church in the Old Testament. Remember, Stephen called them the church in the old, in the church where in the wilderness. And the church in the early times and the church today, nothing has changed. As it was in the beginning, 
So is now and ever it shall be. But world is with end. That one is not true. I say world that end is not true. World will come to an end. Bible says so. But I believe as it was in the beginning, so is now. Yes. Um, and ever it shall be till the world come to an end. So the church configuration or church composition is the same. And it's on this basis that scripture was written. So that when we see some things in scripture, it, it, it now, it's now clear to us why some words are there. Tell me your tonight quickly as we start. Let me lay the foundation of the composition of the church. So when the, the words are read, it applies to each component in the congregation. Exodus 12, I'll read verse 38, and I'll read it in tandem with Numbers eleven fourteen. Let me start from the Old Testament. Exodus 12, 38, I'll read that in tandem with, with Numbers eleven fourteen. I read, a mixed multitude of not, and I'm reading from the Amplified Study Bible, a mixed multitude of non-Israelites, from foreign nations also went with them. Mark that. So when they left Egypt, it wasn't only the Jews that left. It says, a mixed what? Multitude. If you can see in your screen, you will see that there. So they left what? So the church in the wilderness was a mixed multitude. So not all of them were Jews. Who were servants of Yahweh. And remember, that's the reason, in fact, if you read the Roman Bible, it says, This is the law, or this is how to admit any unbeliever into your midst. There's a way they must be admitted. They can't just join you until they've gone through certain process. But when they left Egypt, they left with what certain multitude of people. Who were non-Jews, who were foreigners and strangers. Numbers, chapter number 11, verses 4 and 5. Let me read Numbers 11, 4 and 5. The rabble among them who followed Israel from Egypt, who had greedy desires for familiar and delicious food, and the Israelites wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onion, and the garlic. So apparently, the instigators of this, this remembrance were not Jews. They were the what? The Egyptians that came with them in the congregation. So when the Lord is writing to them, it's not only writing to them, but also to those who are mixed among them, so that everyone will understand the words meant for them. Now, this is reclaim our hearts, because for every congregation, they are not just one kind of people, they are diverse people in it. Amen tonight. Someone follow me. Because this will, 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 will set the foundation 
for understanding scripture as we read because there's something much in Romans, in the in the Gospels and in the Epistles that sets the belief, the foundation, the principles that, that holds on the church that we must understand and live by. Matthew 13 verse 30, please notice this down to us as I read, building our understanding. It says, Jesus here speaking in the parable. Verse 30 of the thing says, allow both of them to grow together. Something together. So they are growing what? Together. Until the harvest. That means some people will be in the gathering that ought not to be there until when? The harvest. And so in every congregation of, of people, not everyone will be accepted of God. But in the midst of them, God will still send his word to them. Now it says, and I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles, but gather the wheat into my barn. So there's, there's wheat and there's what? Tares. Where? In the place of the harvest. Matthew 13, 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven of God is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. So the every kind. So the every kind. That is the church is a place actually where you find every kind of people there. Some claiming they serve God, but it's only God that knows who actually are what serving him. So when he's writing to them, he writes to those serving him, and he writes to those who think they are serving him for adventure, they may repent. Nehemiah 13 verse 3. So when they heard the law, they excluded all the foreigners from Israel. Now God began to give the law, and the law was meant for what? They, but you see, there were many foreigners, and God says, exclude them. But you see, they were part of Israel. That's why it says, not all Israel are what? True Israel. Paul said that in Romans. I will get there in, in 9 and 11. In Acts, 13, Acts 5 verse 13, we find out that Bible says, none of the rest dead joined them. But the people held them in high esteem. At this point, God began to intervene by power. And every, because of miracle, because of the fame, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the camaraderie, the, the giftings in church, the, the support, the help, for in those days, in fact, if you read in Acts 6, Bible says the church was what? Supporting everyone in church. In fact, to the point that the widows were actually fighting. Now when they say fighting, those fighting may not be just orderly, you know, it might lead to scuffle. Because anywhere there is food, there is fight. But see here, it says, they didn't join themselves with them. But guess what? Before now, everyone had what? Had joined. And let me say this to us. After that time, they joined themselves again. And right now, today in our world, there are many people who have joined themselves in the church that we think are in the church or are of the church, but in the eyes of God, they are not 
of the church. So if this is the foundation and the composition of of the of the of the congregation, not the church now, then the word of God must come to every person that finds himself in it. And if we now understand this principle, then we cannot come to to now begin to read the word of God in the light of the composition of the people in the church. So that we, we don't take the word of God for those who are truly his and apply it to those who are not his. Or take what God is saying to those who are not his and apply it to those who are what? Who are his. For when he speaks those words, sometimes he does not differentiate them. He speaks to them generally. But you see, it's, the, it's, it's for those who know where they are to know when he's speaking to them and those who know... Who, that's the reason, have you ever observed that sometimes when pastor is preaching and is preaching about something that concerns someone you know, you know, you turn back and say, it's you, two of us, and then you say, it's you. You know, sometimes when pastor is preaching about something, you wish somebody was listening that you know needs that word. How do you know he needs the word? Because you know he needs it. But see, pastor is not talking to the person directly, but you know by experience, that this person will benefit from this. And that's how it is. So there are people in the church where particular words are directed to. And that's how we begin to see that when God writes to the people, for his mercy's sake, he writes to those also who needs repentance, but yet think they're in the church. Now let's come to Romans. Chapter 8. We began from verse 1 and then verse 2. And before I go on again tonight to pick on from verse 2, let me show you because um, 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 the, the, the trust of the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, 8, 9, in particular 8, is to, is to write to us to assure us that our redemption is what? Is assured. That's subjective. Now, some who call it eternal security, but let's not attach a name to it. Let's just read scripture, amen. Some who say, I don't believe in predestination, then you don't believe the Bible. Paul talked about to those whom he foreknew, he also what predestinate. So it's this guarantee. There is predestination, there is election. In God, the Bible teaches it, and we are saved by election, we are saved by grace, we are saved by putting our faith in Christ. But I will build up tonight, gradually so we, we, we understand these things. But before I go on tonight, talk me your Bibles. So I, 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 I want to show you a little more depth this evening about the understanding of Jesus to, to our 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 assurance jesus never let our assurance in hanging same with apostle paul and same with the apostle peter so we see through the bible that the god wants us to know that our salvation in him in christ is assured it's assured i'm not going by what any man is saying i'm going by what jesus said the apostle paul said and the Bible said in scripture i'm 
we are saying this not in arrogance or in pride, but for us to know and rejoice and praise God for what we have. Amen tonight. Now, talking to John, chapter number, John, maybe we take 14, John 14, quickly tonight. Let me build up. Let me, let's see the thought of our Lord Jesus Christ along these lines. John 14. Let's read from verse 1. Verse 1, actually verse 1 through, through 4, quickly. And mark every word of the Lord here. Because on this word, we'll be interpreting some things now. Kevin, follow me. Let not your hearts be troubled. This is NKJV. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Here it is. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so. Someone say, if it were not so. That means it's so. Someone say, it's so. Amen. If you know so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for who? For you. This is as guaranteed as it can come. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there ye may also be. So where will we end up being? We end up where? Where he is. Is that okay? Jesus didn't leave us to be thinking. I told you in the Islamic faith, you don't know where you end. You know where you end when you get there. If your good works are where the bad ones, then you are saved. Um, but if your bad ones are where the good ones, then you are, you are damned. Or at that point, if he chooses to, so, so it's not guaranteed. You can't determine it. But Jesus never left us, you know, you know, conjecturing about the end. He made it as clear to us as it can ever be. So we go through life with what? The assurance of what? Salvation. Now let's go tonight. And verse 4 says, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Amen tonight. Let's go also tonight to John 17. John 17. This is good news for us to know as we build up tonight. John 17. We'll read verse 1 and 2 and then we'll go to verse 9 and then we'll read verse 11 and then yeah, 22 and, and thereabout. Let's read verse, verse 1 and, and 1 to 3 and then we'll go to verse 9. When Jesus, oh, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify thee. As ye have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have what? Given him. Now notice that. That he should give what? Eternal life to as many as God has given him. So the plan of God is to give eternal life to all that he has given to Christ. Verse 3. And this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he had sent. Go to me to verse 9. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me for they are whose? Yours. So those that God has given to Christ are God's. 
And if they are God's, then they belong to him. Jesus wants us to know the thinking of the Father here before we leave the stage. So we don't leave the stage afraid. We don't leave the earth or walk through earth thinking and conjecturing, will I or will I not? Will I or will I not know? He wants us to know and go through life with confidence in serving him. Come to verse 11 of same scripture. 11 and then we'll go to 22. 11 says, Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me. Now, if God is the one keeping us through his name, Amen? Hallelujah. Someone to highlight for me. Now, this is the word of our Lord. See, so, forget everything in your head. Like, I'm forgetting everything I'm thinking. If it's a word of our Lord, and he says, Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, uh, that they may be one as what? We are one. This is a blessed assurance. This is called the blessed hope. And now, now, now tonight, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will call you the Father quickly as we come. Come to me with, to verse 22 of the same scripture. It says, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you gave me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now please, keep with me tonight, so we can build the foundation. Now these are the words of our Lord Jesus. Now, let's come to the words of the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Um, 2 Corinthians 5. We'll read from verse, from verse 1. Praise God. Now, this is Apostle Paul's, you know, submission about his expectation having been said. Now, this is in addition to what I, I shared with us last class on Tuesday. But let's build on. How did Apostle Paul go through his Christian life? Was he assured? Did he know where he was going? Did the Lord tell him exactly what his end will be having believed? Let's find out from verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 5. For we know. Sounds like for we know. That means it, this sounds like Paul knew. Amen. It wasn't in any doubt. It was very clear. And God wants you not to doubt and have confidence in him. He wants the whole church. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to lay the foundation and explain this principle for the church to know. And on this, we, we hinge our faith in Christ. This is important. For we know that in our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
Amen. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we, for we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, while we are very confident, we are very what? Confident. We are most assured, everyone that has Christ, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are just what? Absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. So this scripture, this the reference to what is, is pointing to. That the assurance that when we leave this tabernacle, as long as the Spirit of Christ dwells in us, we are what? Immediately present with the Lord. So Paul did not go through life unassured. We are confident, verse 8 again. Yes, well pleased, rather, to be, see that word again? Now, now, does this sound like something ambiguous, something not clear, something that we wait until then? No. He said, no, we don't wait until then. As long as we have the Spirit of God dwelling us, God wants His people to know there is an anchor, there is a confidence, there is an assurance of the Spirit having been given to us as a, as a part payment, there will be a fulfillment of the final price that will be with Him. Amen tonight. Verse 6 says, we are confident. Verse 8 says, we are confident, yes. We are pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be what? Present with the Lord. Verse 9, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. You see that now? So the understanding of this makes us to what? Live a well pleasing life to who? To God. So no one that truly has this life of God will continue to make a what? A practice of sin because he knows that his salvation in God's word is guaranteed. So one of the ways to know those who actually have been sealed for redemption is the eternal love for God and his righteousness. Amen tonight. Is it clear tonight? So no one should because of the fear of people sinning and says no, there's no, 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 no. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. In fact, contrary, it teaches us to come to a point that we know on the basis of this reality of the assurance and confidence we have in redemption, we live right. Why do we live to please him? Verse 10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what we have done, we may receive a gift in the body. So everything we do in the body as believers, we shall account for it. So I see Paul here by the Holy Spirit following the path of the Lord Jesus Christ, assuring the people who are in him, telling the people who are the gift of God as a bride of Christ, the assurance they have. Tonight, is this soothing? Is this good news? Is it good of faith and confidence? Yes, it is. Amen. Now, maybe two more scriptures before I build up tonight. Let's see what the Apostle Peter also said. So, let's see his mindset. 
about his work. Maybe going to heaven. He felt that until we get there before we know. And by and by we shall see. Maybe. Is that how the apostle lived? Tell me tonight your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read chapter 1 of 2 Peter. We'll read from verse verse 12 of 2 Peter chapter 1. And I read. He said, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent. Now, notice the word tent that means the body. What's a life? I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ has, what, has shown me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that... You always have a reminder of those things, of those things that have been said to you. Now, he's speaking here in a in a in a in a in a sense of full assurance. He says, just like Paul said, I'm about to leave this tent, and I'm not leaving it in speculation, but I want to remind you so you know this truth and continue in them. For they that follow the Lord in this light will live righteous. But the underpinning truth here is this. The believer in Christ Jesus, those who have the work of divine regeneration haven't done in them, the Lord preserves them. Hallelujah. Don't mind those you see, I don't take our teachings from, from people that live carelessly. They are not the Bible. They are not the Lord. They are not the Holy Ghost. The Bible is what we base our faith on. The Bible says this, then we believe it. And this will be the foundation. So for us, and that's why we do our best. And that's why I'm careful in church. Not to assume that everyone in there is saved. And that's why we press. And, and, and do our best to make sure that everyone understands what it means to serve God and not be under this so much grace of God and yet be far away from Him. Last verse tonight, before I take on verse 3 and 4, I will close again tonight. So, we worship, but let's build the forest. So, when we begin to read some things, it gets clear to us. Jude 24. Jude 24. Jude is one chapter and it has 25 verses. So Jude 24, I'm verse 24. I read it tonight. I read. He said, Now to him, praise God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you how so, who presents you faultless? Christ. Amen. Listen. I read again. Now to him who is able. So is able. Hallelujah tonight. So Christ is able. To him who is able to keep you from falling. And stumbling. 
and to present you. Now, he's not only able to keep you from falling and stumbling, he's also the one that works present you because he's the one that actually took you from beginning from where we were dead in sins and trespasses is the same grace that will keep us and also present us if the spirit of God no matter what if the spirit of God in what if the spirit of Christ actually is dwelling in us so let no one think or assume but the Spirit of God indwells him because he's in the church. But you must do all you can to be assured that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And one of the ways which you know that he dwells in you is your desire for him. I read again tonight. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. So I said what? Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I said all this tonight to lay this foundation. So you see that what the Apostle Paul is establishing in Romans 8. Is for the church understanding. So you know our belief. You know the belief of the church. By what Christ said. The apostles further confirmed. In the word of God. So Romans chapter 8. As we read. In verse 2. It says for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And last, last week, what would have made? Has made us free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. Verse 3 says, For the law could not, told me that tonight, Romans 8, verse 3, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Amen tonight. So what is said here? That the law could not. The law only exposed sin and made sin grievous. But the law could not take. The law could not, could not, could not. Dissolve the, the power of sin and guilt. But what the law could not do because it was weak. God sent his eternally strong son to what? To rescue and save us from the bondage of sin. And verse 4. That the righteousness of the righteous requirement of the law might be what? Fulfilled. So the, 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 what the law required for us to obey and that our, our, our nature cannot obey in that sense that is contrary, we've now been made to fulfill those things not because of what we are, we are doing, or what we can do, 
but on the basis of the grace of God. Now, let, let me say this way tonight. No one is saved by works. Neither was Abraham saved by works. But was Abraham believed God. You see, if we claim that we are righteous, Jesus has came to elevate the standard. Sin does not start when the act is committed. Sin starts when the act is initiated in the heart. He said, you heard in times old that he said, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, he that hates his own brother is what? Is, is a murderer. Wow. Thou hast heard it was said that thou shalt commit what adultery. But I say unto you, he that looks at a man to loss, he that looks on a woman to loss, everybody's dead. No, on the account of this, no one can stand before God's righteousness. And so, what the law could not do. Now this means the, you know, some people say that uh, the opposite of sin is not to sin. Is that? No, it's not true. The real, or rather, the antidote for sin is what? Not sinning. Now, if the antidote for sin is not sinning, then everyone is actually sinning. So the real antidote for sin is not not sinning, it's actually the grace of God. And so God wants us to know that there is nothing strong in us to keep us away from the flesh and the world. It's His grace that makes the difference. It is His grace that set us righteous. It is grace that keeps us sanctified. No man can struggle with his strength to be like God. But guess what? The more we press into God, the more we overcome the flesh gradually. But guess what? The flesh may not be totally overcome until we see Him. And so, when we understand this, guess what? It keeps us going. And this is what God is trying no, I don't try. He's sent to us to understand. So we're not full of ourselves and think we know all. Amen. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. That means the righteousness, the law, is trying to get us to that we cannot attain to by the flesh because our flesh is weak by the spirit of grace that blood of Jesus as what has brought us there we in the sight of God when Christ was sacrificed we we fulfill that law of what of righteousness And the understanding of this fulfillment keeps us in holy awe 
pushing on daily to become more like him, forgetting those things behind and pressing on, not conforming to the world, but being what transformed by the renewing of our heart. For everyone who understands what Christ has done in redemption will not again make a practice of sin. For right now, we are no more debtors to the flesh to obey its laws, but we are debtors toward the spirit. So the victory over sin is from the vantage point of, of the victory that Christ has gotten for us over it. Amen. Is someone getting clear tonight? So we are not striving against sin from the point of defeat. No. We are, we are overcoming sin from the point of what? Of victory. So we must not say that, that this is my cross. It's my albatross. I cannot overcome it. No, no, no. You have overcome it. Therefore, you must consistently do everything in your power by the word. To subject sin and put sin where it belongs. Yet you must understand that in Christ Jesus, we have the victory over sin. And God wants us to know that our salvation is assured in Christ. If I close tonight, I'll close here. That the righteousness of the law, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled and met. In us who now do not walk after the flesh, but what walk after the spirit. So for us now who walk after the spirit, for us now who actually have have been renewed by the spirit, because there are people in this church that are walking in the flesh. Amen. Now listen. Let's read again. Verse, verse 4. That the righteousness or requirement of the law might be fulfilled in who? In us. Now us there means not all. The us there actually determines or, or narrows down that this word is not for everyone in that place. It says, for us who now walk according to what? The Spirit. And what does this mean? It means those who find their life and their existence in the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. You know, if you turn to 1 John 1, verse 18, 19. And then verse 23. But let, let's go to 23 in particular. It says, being born again, not of the what? Of the seed that is corruptible, but the seed incorruptible, but the word of God, the word that liveth and abideth forever. Now, it means, it means, it means, is the word of God, a word that saved us. So for us who now walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5, Verse 24-25. He said, if we live in the spirit, 
Let's also walk, walk by the Spirit. So there's something about the Spirit and the Word. Colossians 3 verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you, watch, richly. Ephesians 5 18. Be not be drunk with word, word in essence, but be filled with the Spirit. So when you are filled with the Spirit, it means you are what? You are filled with the Word. So what he's saying here is that those of us who have been regenerated by the Word or by the Spirit have what? Fulfilled the law or the requirement of the law and not those who are walking in the flesh. Because I want you to understand this. We will not come to a point of rest. There will be a struggle in our heart. God says, I've marked you out. I've made you the bride of my, of my son. For you've been born by the Spirit. Those who are born by the water and of the Spirit. Those who are born of the Word. They are separated to the Son. So the righteousness or the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in us who are born of the Spirit, who walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. For everyone that is born of God walks in the Spirit. For everyone that walks in the Spirit or live in and by the Spirit is born of the Word. And therefore, we are not debtors anymore to live by the flesh. So no true believer who has the spirit, who lives in the spirit, who walks in the spirit, who is born of the spirit, and walks of the spirit, walks in the flesh. For the seed of God, the seed of God dwells in us, and therefore we don't make a practice of sin. Sin is an anathema. Sin is not our second nature. The hold of sin is destroyed. But because of the remainder of the flesh, the remainder the tendency, but it's not of the, of the essence of life in us. And the more we yield to God, the more that tendency dies and wins. And so there's assurance in our heart. The same Lord who has called us will keep us to himself. And understanding of this righteous truth keeps us going. So as you travel every day, know in your heart that to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. And all those the Father has given the Son the Father preserves for the Son. And by the grace of the preservation is also the grace of perseverance and the grace to hate sin in the flesh. Because now, our nature is no more the nature of sin. It's now the nature of righteousness. And that seed of God keeps us perpetually loving Him moving toward him, breaking that hold of sin and pressing toward God in righteous love. Let us pray tonight.
But I will thank you for your simple truth. Lord, the entrance of your word, the understanding of what Christ has done, breaks every yoke. Let the yoke of sin be destroyed. Let that hold. Lord, as we broken on the cross, the yoke is taken off our shoulders. And we go through life in assurance. And that assurance keeps us in righteousness. Thank you, Lord. For because we live in the spirit and not in the flesh, we are fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. And now we know that to be absent in the body is to be present with you. You've gone to prepare a place for us that where you are, you may be also. For all that are in Christ, by faith, belong to you. And your sacrifice on the cross for the redeemed is forever. Thank you because you preserve us to the end. You keep us in your love. Thank you for this understanding. Brings us victory. Builds faith in us. And equip us with the right word of reconciliation and salvation to all those that believe. Thank you, Father, tonight. We praise your name. We adore you, Lord. For pray with thanksgiving. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. And amen. You know, I, I, I just keep rejoicing every day as we study this, these scriptures together. It gives us an unparalleled assurance in our heart of the will of God for his church. So no matter what happens to a church, he keeps his own. His own persevering him and he preserves them by the word. He keeps sanctifying us by the word daily. As we keep his word in our heart, we press on to righteousness. But we know that we are sure to see him face to face at the blast of the trumpet or when he comes back again in glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll continue from here. We stop. Um, in from verse 5 downwards as we build on this teaching and I believe it's what the, Paul wants to say to the church and what the Lord is saying to us so, so we understand this and let it be in our heart so when we notice Satan's grip is weakened his understanding the, the things he's doing in the world today becomes 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 ineffectual and ineffective in our lives because we know in Christ we have the victory Praise God tonight. God bless you. We'll see you again um, on Saturday for prayer meeting, Sunday in church, and then Tuesday we'll continue in these teachings. And Lord our God will help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, folks. God bless you. See you. Amen.